Good morning, folks. The Lord is able, uh, and he's also willing as well. I think we need to all remember that, particularly when we're going through uh, challenges and adversity, when things don't seem to be going to plan, the Lord is still willing and able, yeah? Okay, so this morning, folks, we're going to give you an update on the land. It's not just going to be a technical update. Uh, We're just going to also share with you how we feel the Lord's been leading us thus far. Um, and just give you some, some real reflections of where we're at as we, we, as we think um, the Lord's been leading us, and also then give you some practical next steps as to where we're going to be going forward. So uh, if we were to sort of summarize this morning, um, the title of, or the subtitle of our little talk, it would be Anniversaries, uh, Prophecies, uh, People and the Land. I think that would be a good, a good summary. And um, I don't know if next year, next year we will be marking 40 years as a fellowship. And um, when Andre preached the other week, he detailed our sort of church history from back in the day when Caleb Beardsmore um, helped pioneer the church in and around uh, Gornal. And the folks from Gornal, Eve Lane Church, then came over here. John Price and Judith, our sort of founding pastors, um, set up the church in Allenwall School in 1978. And then the, the journey of us miraculously obtaining the land at 323 Wolverhampton Road. And then Andre went on a little bit further as to when we demolished the building, got to Grace Academy, uh, got to Carris Bible College, and then ended up to where we are today at Grace Academy. I said it's anniversaries, and it, that 40 years, we will be marking that 40 years. Um, we've already put a, a line in the budget, uh, a date in the diary as to how we will celebrate that. And not necessarily linking to what we're going to talk about today, but it, it, I think there might be something in it in terms of dates and times, as you all no doubt gather as we, as we um, go throughout this talk. Now, um, I don't know if you saw um, Andrew Marr this morning, the, uh, the news current affairs show, um, but they had on the, on the news uh, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, Netanyahu. Do you know who that is? He's the Israeli Prime Minister. And he's over in the UK at the moment um, because of the centenary um, anniversary of something called the Balfour Agreement. Now, we as a church, you know, certainly in recent times, we've likened our journey, moving from place to place, to be akin to the, the children of Israel back in the day when they were wandering around the wilderness um, waiting to enter into their promised land. We spoke about the crossing of the Jordan, uh, the sin of Achan, the demolition of the walls of Jericho, and we've drawn lots of parallels to our journey. Well, let's, let's draw another one. Uh, November 1917, 2nd of November, uh, the UK's Foreign Secretary, Alfred, Arthur Balfour, uh, wrote a letter to uh, Lord Walter Rothschild, who was then the leader of the British Jews in the UK. And that particular uh, letter, uh, which said basically this, His Majesty's Government's view, with favour, the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people, and will use their best endeavours to facilitate the achievement of this object. It being clearly understood that nothing shall be done which may prejudice the civil and religious rights of existing non-Jewish communities in Palestine or the rights 
and political status enjoyed by Jews in any other country. Now, many consider that uh, declaration as being the fulfillment of prophecy, that the scattered Jews living amongst the nations would one day return to their promised land. In fact, Ezekiel 37, 21 says this, Behold, I will take the sons of Israel from among the nations where they have gone, and I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. And many people mark that particular scripture and others to the uh, Balfour Declaration and beyond. Now this land, a land that still has, as you've seen in the news, effect on our world, and many link some of our current crises uh, crisis in the world to the Al-Qaeda, ISIS, um, the troubles in Iran, all around this little patch of land in the Middle East. The whole of history seems to be linked to, to it. And in fact, if you read your scriptures and you're really into this stuff, the Bible even prophesies the, some of the current turmoils that we're facing. Now, for, for Zionist Jews, the Balfour Declaration was that birth of modern uh, Jewish nation. But for the Palestinians, some would argue, it was what they call the Nakba, the catastrophe. And for many years, folks, us at Junction Town have been navigating around our own declaration. Uh, a number of prophetic words given many, many years ago that we as a church would grow. Grow to a church of a thousand people, right? Um, that prophecy given in part to our founding pastor, John Price. And that declaration, depending on your point of view, has either been the rebirth or animation of us as a fellowship, or for some, the Nakba itself, which for good and ill has shaped our journey as a fellowship, even up until this time. Yeah? For the Jews, the land, many believe, was promised by God. Uh, to the nation of Israel, particularly if you go way back to their patriarch Abraham. And then 430 years after Abraham, to Moses, where he addresses a new generation, a different generation than the one he led out of Egypt. That previous generation that had to die out, particularly in times of distress, disappointment, delay and doubt, forgot how the Lord had led them and provided for them as a people. And the people's response at times frustrated Moses. A frustration that led him to an action that uh, for, even in the end forbade him from entering into the promised land. Because he didn't do exactly what God had told him to do. And I'm sure through the years, folks, not just recent times, we have shared a lot of those sentiments perhaps as people. Even questioning what actually did we hear as a people. What did we hear prophetically? Rachel's is going to come now and speak through some of those words. So earlier this year, um, Tim Fellows came and he actually went through a whole load of stuff um, of our prophetic dossier. Okay, and he brought did a kind of a summary, and uh, for anyone that's interested, then uh, some of those prophetic words, and um, you can catch that on the podcast, and uh, you'll be able to look back and find that, and uh, and it gives us chance to reflect on it because for all of us with prophetic words, it's about weighing and testing them, isn't it? 
So when Joe, Kev and myself entered the eldership of the church, we kind of effectively inherited all of those prophetic words um, with the mandate to steward and discern and listen and act on them. And since that, we've had new words um, uh, which we've had to reflect on uh, pertaining to our journey and, the ma- and, of course, the condition of our people as well as the land. Uh, one day at uh, one of the evenings we had at Caris, we sp- actually um, had a uh, prayer meeting for our worship cent- one of our worship central nights and Wally gave a prophetic word in actual fact about putting the foundations in. Do you remember? And, uh, and that was when we were back in Caris. Then before we left Caris, we had uh, a day where we spent on the land and uh, we'd already done some walks up and down the, um, the Primley Avenue, if that's the right, yeah, that is the right name, uh, Primley Avenue, <laughs> Jane's nodding at me. Um, and we'd walked up and down the breadth, we'd gone round the land, we went on the land and uh, we'd prayed specifically. And one of the things that, uh, that Penny had had from that was about the fact that we needed to put the foundations back in. Because if you remember, one of the things that we'd done was we'd dug out the roots and we'd remove them off site because that was part of the prophetic word. And there was a sense of we needed to put that stuff back in the ground. And that's what Penny had had as well. And then when uh, in the summer, um, uh, Charlie Tom came to see us, didn't he? And uh, he went for lunch with Andre and Joy. And in actual fact, they went to the village, as did we with Sue when she was having her interview. And um, they actually went onto the land to pray, Joy Andre and Charlie Tom. And one of the things that he'd said was he had a real strong sense that God was saying, you need to put the foundations in. You need to start, make a start. And so from that, there were kind of, we'd had kind of other words focusing on the foundations. And then we had a half night of prayer. I'm not going to ask for people to put their hands up because hardly anybody was there. But for those that were there, we thank you. And um, if we do another one, it would be great to see you. Okay, so we did the half night of prayer. And there we had, someone brought a scripture, which was 2 Kings 4, verses 1 to 7. And that was the story of Elisha and the widow's oil. And not, not, um, not Elijah and the widow at Zareth, but we heard that we heard from Vicky um, the, again last week. So the widow in Elisha's store, uh, story had been left with a debt, and she'd, that she'd asked Elisha to help, but all she had of worth was a small jar of olive oil. So Elisha asked her to ask her neighbours for empty jars and vessels and to pour the oil into them and the oil miraculously kept flowing until all of the jars were full. So what's the application for us? Well, we've got a pot of money to use towards the land and it's been accumulated over several years through people's generosity And it's nowhere near enough to pay for the building. But if we spend it, what do we have then? 
was God telling us to use what we've got as the widow did with the oil and miraculously it will keep flowing. The Sunday after the trustee meeting where we've been discussing the land, a guy, some of you will remember, do you remember John Richardson? Does anyone remember John Richardson? A few nods. Other people going, oh, what the fuck is doing this? So John Richardson was with us for some time. He's from South Africa. And he turned up completely out of the blue, sat at the back, and he was visiting family, and he felt prompted to find us out. And he spoke to the people before the he spoke to us before the service that he felt in his spirit that he was to share the story of his old church in Durban in South Africa. And this is the story. So after losing their property, they went onto a large field and, and used a large tent. And after a while, they realized that they needed to get their own place. So Rory Dyer, which was their main pastor, went to the local banks and building societies and institutes. And he came back and he said, I've been around all the local loan institutes. And after I had completely given up, just one banker said, with your income credentials, I will give you a 1% chance of getting a loan. With that, Rory raised his hands and said, praise God, because um, God will do the rest. So the church went into uproar and started to praise God. I bet you we wouldn't do that, would you? Do you think we would? Our personality? Do you think we, Kev says we would? <laughs> if we were given a 1% chance, would we go, thank you, Jesus, we've got a 1% chance? Yeah? Okay. So then they looked around for land, and the railway station so, um, uh, sold, sold them some of the top railway station. Uh, and there was a church house that went up for sale for £280,000. And soon, the occupants received a phone call from the people saying that they were interested in the house and wanted to make an offer on one condition. The response to the offer had to be either yes or no. So there was no negotiation. It was either yes or no. They had no surplus money to start, but decided to, to start. Let me tell you what the offer was. They agreed to the condition, and the offer was for £380,000. So, because they had no surplus offer, surplus money, they decided to dig out the foundation and start laying the bricks one at a time as the money came in. And even their young surfers sold their boards and handed in the money. And it was tough going and giving got even tougher. But as they were committed and wanted the building, they just put their money and faith into every brick. Every Wednesday night, they had a church meeting and they prayed. Every Wednesday night, they prayed. And it was a fantastic community and inspiration. So the constant word for us is build a community with Jesus at the centre. Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city, equipping God's people irrespective of 
of the land. I'm going to hand back to Kev. So prophetic words, folks, words that have given us the nudge that this is the direction which God uh, wanted us to, to go. And it's, I, when, I, when's the last time the Lord actually spoke to you as, as an individual? Because the Lord does speak to people, right? He does speak to us, not just in, you open your Bible and there and you get that specific word, although I think it happens to some folks. The Holy Spirit does witness to us, whether it's through feelings, some people have heard the Lord audibly, and what you do with those words, and Bible tells us very clearly, is to, is to write them down and to meditate on them and chew them over and test them. And sometimes those words happen in the, the same moments that you, you get them, but sometimes it takes years and years and years and years until they fulfill their, the purpose that the Lord set them out to be. And some of that is conditional on the times and circumstances, but sometimes it's also conditional on us and our response to what God has spoken. So when we say, we speak about prophetic words, we're very, very careful, folks, because we are, we, are, we are chewing these things over. When good folks like you come up to us and say, we feel the Lord saying X, Y, and Z to us, we weigh it up, we write it down. We don't always act on it immediately because we want to be very careful that we are hearing the word of the Lord. So folks, prophetic word about having this great church, new facility, the land, etc., etc. Let me tell you something. We could have, we could have had that building ready for our 40th anniversary next year. It was possible, right? Very, very possible. In fact, 12 months ago, roughly to this month, it was told to me, Kevin, you can have it. Do you remember I came to the church and said, all the money, it's there. So, the, so forget all the prophetic and the, 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 the spooky stuff, right? Practical, here's the cash, we agree with what you want to do, it can happen, and it can happen in, in uh, 2018, and it suddenly seems, wow, it's all aligned with what God, or what we thought God had said to us at the time. So let's, let's have a, a little retrospective of those 12 months, folks, yeah? Now, the building, four, five million, whatever it was going to cost. For me, it's a lot of money. I got, I'm not sitting on four or five million pounds in my, in my pocket, believe you me. Um, but I could believe for that. Why could I believe that? Because I've been through that journey before when we built the gold mine center. When we didn't have two pennies to rub together. And we still haven't got two pennies to rub together. But the Lord gave me a promise about the St. Matthew's Quarter, about a facility that would have work, live, play, learn and worship. And we, when we originally won a million quid, then, it, then the bill went up to two million, then it went to three million, and then three and a half million. Lord, where's all this money going to come from? It came, right? And then 20 years ago when I, um, when I came to the Vine, it wasn't just a dream for a facility, it was for the transformation of the whole of St. Matthew's Quarter. So I had a promise from God that that would happen. Now, how it was going to happen... I hadn't got a clue at the time other than something would happen. And whether that was completely through our agency or the agency of others, I wasn't sure. But 20 years, folks, and when I finish my little respects of the 20 years, I can say that that 20-year prophecy in this, in this last two months, 
has come into, into being, right? But I hope not at the expense of the church. And why do I say that? 12 months ago, folks, when we got that note to say it can happen, preceding that, do you remember we had a number of people individually coming up to the elders and saying, um, we want, need to build a tent, put a tent on the land. Do you remember that? Yeah? It was at the time when we were leaving Caris and we didn't know where we were going to go, right? So when folks come to you with these crazy messages, you, you, you say, okay, and you do a nice smile, right? But when then three, four, five people come up with, randomly come up with, the, with those words to you, and these are solid, prayerful people who you've trusted throughout the years, come up with these things, then you have to take note. So what did we do? We started to explore the idea of what does it mean to have a tent on the land? Do we go and get a marquee from a wedding and, and stick it on there? Or is it like the camp meeting tents you have from back in the day when you used to have your, your revival meetings? Or was it something that talked about a, a movable facility, right? Now, at the time, I had got the nod from the Department for Education to create another school, the Ladder School. But we didn't have a place to put it on, on a temporary basis. So we were looking for a temporary home. We were looking for a place to put a modular building. Or in other words, perhaps a tent, right? So I'm not the, the sharpest uh, knife in the drawer, as it were, sometimes to catch on things. My wife will tell you that. But folks, when the church had this vacant plot of land and we were talking about tents, I'm thinking, okay, we were thinking, is there an alignment between the fact that the school needed a temporary home, and our church were talking at the time about putting a modular building on there whilst we waited for new instructions about the whole facility. So we entered into this discussion. We started getting quotes from uh, temporary uh, uh, building uh, providers, Wernick and, and the like, and Porter Cabin to say, could we do something? And then as we went along, the conversation started getting a bit deeper. So actually, why... Are we just talking about having temporary accommodation together? Because the Department for Education suddenly came to us and says, if you don't have a site, your school project won't go any further. You need to identify it now. So the conversation went up to say, actually, is this more than just a conversation about temporary accommodation and tents, but actually almost doing like a, another goldmine-esque centre in the church at Junction 10 itself, on the planning permission we'd already got, a good-to-go project. So we shared it with the Department for Education and the, we had all the green lights. Makes sense, you've got a planning permission, let's put our money into it, let's do it, let's do it. In fact, what they said to us was, not only is the planning permission fine, but you've got a problem. You haven't got enough land, right? This, it's not big enough. So they said to us, actually, we want to buy the land next door, all of it, right? And suddenly you think, what, well, Lord, is this it? We haven't just been praying for our building on 323 Wolverhampton Road. We would have been praying for the whole site. Those prophecies we had from, from many a year was about the entire area. So we then came as a leadership, sat down with the uh, people from our school, Mercy and Trust, and started to uh, map out what it would look like for us to work together. And then 
we thought we then had another confirmation. Now, am I right saying that chap down there where it says, what does that say? What does it say? All right, it doesn't say Ali, does it? <laughs> it's Ali. Test me on that one. It is Ali. So that guy down there suddenly gets a job in the capital division of the Department for Education. A very, very senior job, right? This guy turns out to be in Christ, right? And not only is, is he just in Christ and the guy who is in a senior, senior position, he also happens to be the brother of Rachel Willis over there. Where have you Rachel over there. So you think about this, folks. We're going through all this. And this guy suddenly gets this role in the, in, the, in the division that we are talking to. The division that says, actually, we're the ones that will make the decisions practically on a day-to-day -day basis for you to, whether you have your school there or not. Right? For me and for us, it felt like, amen, Lord. We can, all the weight, the travailing, the, the, the craziness of us knocking our building down, all has come to this point to say, now the acceleration. And we're going to have our building in 2018. But. It must have been around, goodness, December, I think it was. We started having a little difficulty. Um, when we were putting our planning permission, because we had to put another planning permission in to, to put the temporary building in, right? You can't just dump a, a facility on there. We started having difficulty with the local authority, who initially were interested and said, this is really good. We can get the, the, that side of Junction 10 developed. But they were absolutely opposed to us extending on the land next door. They wanted to have uh, big industrial units on there. And they thought what we were doing was not in keeping with that. I think they were hoping for Jaguar to turn up and build some great big manufacturing facility on there. And folks, for those of you who know me, I, um, I can be tenacious. I don't always take no for the first answer, which is a strength and a weakness, folks. But in this context, I, we went into battle with the local authority and says, this must happen, right? Why are you resisting it? And they threw the kitchen sink at us and basically said, no way. You can't have a school on there because the air is so poor. Well, you've got four schools on there. So if the air is going to be poor for us, isn't it going to be poor for those poor souls along the, on, along the, um, the Primley Avenue corridor, right? Oh, okay, um, uh, road safety. Uh, the kids could get knocked over. Well, if our kids are going to get knocked over, what about the, the kids on, um, from the Allenwald Junior and Primary School, right? Everything that was uh, thrown at us to the point where the Department for Education got the willies. Can I say that in church? <laughs> Heebie-jeebies, right? And said, Kevin, this is too hard. In fact, we are telling you we're not going to do it. Right? And you think, Lord, what is this? Have we got to raise up a standard? Have we got to get on our knees to pray? What is it? What's going on here? Because everything seemed to, you know, and I'll fight, Lord, if you want me to fight. But if you don't want me to do this, if you don't want us to do it, then we'll, we'll, we'll stop. And then you'll remember 
some weeks later, they came to us and said, Kevin, we've bought the bakery for you. A few hundred yards up from the Junction 10 site, the uh, Harvest Time Bakery site, four-acre site, they've bought it for us, and you're going to build a school on there. So we're weighing it up and saying, oh, is, this, is this the plan? You know, you, you know, as reasonable, intelligent people, prayerful people, you have to sometimes weigh up, are you looking through the prism of your prophetic word in the wrong way, right? And we have to weigh these things up, folks, absolutely. So we explored that as a possibility. Now, I was torn because on one level, I've got my school to build, right? But I'd already passed mentally, emotionally, to, to Junction 10 to say, you know, I'll sac- sacrifice my vision for um, uh, St. Matthew's Quarter being developed. But this has got to be it, surely, Lord. So we, I think it was August time, I think it was. The department says, we're doing it. So I'm very, I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed for, for, for the church. He said, well, Lord, what's, what's next? What, have we heard wrong? Why have we been almost like the Grand Old Duke of York led up the hill with all the, these green lights happening and then suddenly hit a red light? We weighed up whether we should be doing the, the church together at, 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 uh, at uh, the bakery. And for some folks, that was a profound disappointment. Some said, no, we've got to stick to the land. That's what it is. And I'll be brutally honest with you folks, I was torn to say, I ain't, I ain't sure. I'm not sure where we're going to get four million quid from if this ain't going to happen in this particular way. Right? Absolutely. Right. To finish off, folks, um, it was August that I had a call from the Department of Education and said we need to have a meeting. Right? Fine. Had a meeting. They've said we've got, a, we've got some humble pie to eat. Kevin, um, we don't think we're going to make the bakery work. Um, we know Junction 10 can't work because the council's opposed to it. So what we're going to do, we know we've told you no before, but we now go, we've now bought the Shannon Mill site and we're going to build the school on the Shannon Mill site. So I sat there at that meeting, bewildered slightly, thinking, what on earth is going on? From me starting out saying the Shannon Mill site is where I want the whole thing developed because that's what the Lord, as I thought the Lord had promised me. I thought that. The whole transformation of that area. Suddenly to get the red light to say, no, 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 absolutely not, absolutely not. Going on into Junction 10 and J10 site, then going to the bakery, and then suddenly saying, in fact, the, the monies we've got on the table is... is um, totals 10 million pounds which is more than I anticipated I've got to say Um, I said okay Lord that's it there was one building left on the site which they hadn't bought Uh, it's a building called uh, Millennium House opposite the Vine and I said why have we left this one out because we don't need it I said we do need it and in my heart I've been praying for the the entire site I was left nothing untouched and they said no you can't have it and I contended again and they said, okay, you can have it. And £600,000 was found to buy it. So why do I say all these things? For? I'm saying this to you to do a, a praise of what's happened over 12 months. A praise to say, folks, 
how do you process the things that God's sp spoken to you at a time, right? Before Phil comes up, I want to read a scripture that was given to me, I think it's given to me for us to reflect on. Moses, the great leader of Israel, had taken them to the edge of the promised land. He had defeated all enemies in his way. Great success. Everything was lining up for them to enter into the promised land. But something happened, or some things happened. On one occasion, for Moses personally, he didn't get to enter into the promised land, as you know. Why? Because Moses was, uh, the, the, the Israelites wanted drinking water, yeah? And the Lord had told Moses to strike the rock, sorry, to speak to the rock for the water to come out. It was something that Moses had done before, right, to get water. But because Moses was so frustrated with the people, frustrated with them, instead of speaking to the rock for water to come out, he struck it like he'd done before. And the Lord was angry with Moses about that because it had robbed the Lord of the glory that he was to have in that particular situation. And he was disqualified, him and Aaron, from entering into the promised land. Moses should have followed God's specific instructions, which was to speak to the rock and get water for the Israelites. And not only was his disobedience preventing him, the disobedience of the Israelites overall also prevented that generation from entering into the promised land. Yeah? A whole generation had to die out because of their unbelief in God's abilities, because of their grumbling and moaning. And, it's only, and only two people from that generation remained. Do you know who they were? Joshua and Caleb, right? Were the only two who ever entered in because they believed that they could surely, surely do it. Okay. I'll land up with you there. So we've talked about practical what's happened over the next 12 months. Can we tell you what's going to happen over the next 6 to 12 months? Yeah? So I'm going to ask our chair of trustees... Uncle Phil Walker, who is also um, heads up our building task force to give us what we're doing next as a consequence of what we know to date. All right? Okay. Let's welcome Phil. Good morning, everybody. Is that loud? That's all right. Where are we then practically? Um, there's a lot of things actually that have been going on in the background over the last probably six months. Um, just to take you back, we, we were granted planning permission, if you can remember, it was about just over three years ago. That planning permission actually technically runs out in February next year. So what that means to us is the plans and the dreams and all that that ended up in the drawings and all that sort of thing. If we don't start the development by the 17th of February next year, it's void. So all that money we've spent and everything, it's kind of in the bin and we would have to start again. Um, the concern that I think we had as well uh, as trustees is that, as Kevin's alluded to, um, the council, there's people changed on there, there's a, there's a, a change in attitude to the things that are going on. The concern was is that would they actually grant planning permission to put a church back on there if we had to do it again? 
could they compulsory purchase our land because we hadn't started the development because the development that they want with these warehouses on the land next door, they'll take our land. So we were starting to, you know, get a little bit concerned about it. And we thought, no, you know, we've got some money. We haven't got all of it. But we need to start the development. So over the last probably, I suppose, six months, but, but particularly over the last four months, we have assembled a team of consultants and professionals who, um, a couple of them are Christians, which is really good, so they really understand wh what we're doing, etc. And we've employed them to develop us to a point where we can start putting foundations in the land. Now, for any of you who've ever done um, any development or had an extension or anything like that, you get planning permission, but there are, they have things on them called conditions. Things that you have to do either before the building is occupied or even before you start any work on the land. Now, because ours is quite a large development, there was a, a number, in fact, a raft of uh, conditions that the council put on us. So before we even put a spade in the ground, there are lots of things that we've got to clear. There's environmental reports we've got to put in. We've got to talk uh, about how we're going to secure the site. We've got to do landscaping drawings. We've got to put bat boxes up. We've got to convince the highways department that the road into the site will work. All these bits of information and the several others have all got to be put in place before we can start. And bear in mind, we have to start in February. So the council also need eight weeks to consider all of these conditions that we're doing. So uh, our consultancy team over the last, uh, as I say, three or four months, uh, we've been spending a lot of time in the background um, getting rid of all of the issues that stop us fulfilling those conditions. So lots of work's gone in the background. And if you can pray into this, on the 10th of November, all of those reports will be gathered into one place and submitted to the local authority to extinguish all of our conditions. You might say, why, why the 10th of November? Because they take about eight weeks to debate and go through. So that will bring us into January. Um, in addition to that, what is also happening is, based upon the plans of the church, we've employed uh, an engineer. Engineers are the people that de design the structures, but they also design all the foundations. So they have now designed the foundations for the building. And those foundations as well have to go to the local authority to building control to be approved. Um, so they've designed those foundations. So we've got foundations. The practical thing is now we've got to get somebody to put them in the ground. So now we've got the foundations together. We're starting to speak to a number of contractors to allow us to get prices in, to get good value for money. Uh, and when we've got three or four prices in, we will award a contract and we will put foundations in. Now, we're going to put some of the foundations in. We haven't got uh, all the money together, as, y as you're aware, but we are going to put some foundations in. The other reason why 
we're having to put some of the foundations in because planning says you have to make a meaningful start. We haven't got to build the building. We've actually got to put in um, nine or ten foundations. They're called, the initial foundations are called piles. So they're big concrete columns that we, we, we put a corkscrew, if you like, into the ground, fill it full of concrete, and that's what the building sits on. So that we would hope to be on site and start by the middle of February to make sure. So all those things at the moment are going on in the background and at the moment it's all green lights to get those uh, conditions in to the authority but if you could really pray because we don't want the authority to bring up any issues with those and also then to pray that we get the right contractors on board with the right prices to be able to start to put those foundations in from February. Is there anything else that you want me to share? Okay, thank you all. Thanks, Phil. Do you want to stand up for a second? Just reach up to the sky. Wave your hands about. Sit down again. I just thought you'd been sitting for a long time. So, let's, uh, let's bring this in. Though it tarries. Um... That's from Habakkuk, chapter 2. Uh, and actually, as I sat there, it's a word that Wally bought um, when we went to St. Matthew's uh, for one of the joint services. Let me just read down to chapter 3. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, though it tarry, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. So we've heard about waiting periods. There's a 430 year wait between Abraham and Moses. 40 years the Israelites were in the wilderness before they entered the promised land. 31 years between the Balfour Agreement and the formal establishment of, of the modern Jewish state. We've heard Kev's had a 20-year wait. And then we've heard over the last four, three, 12 months wait for us and our journey with the Lord. And you know, you can feel like the heroes in the faith that you read about in Hebrews 11. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. If we go back to anniversaries though, this month is the third anniversary of the end of the demolition. It's four years, and I only worked this out this week, it's four years to the very weekend, the first weekend in November, that the wider church was told about the demolition. We hadn't planned it, and sometimes you need things like that, I do, to grab my attention and say, okay, just look at the screen behind me. Okay, go to the next. Do it, look at the date in the top corner. My mum came, she did it. She'd done a study about the um, Assemblies of God, uh, the growth of the denomination and, and the missions from the Jeffries brothers. And she got an article, she gave me an article about Junction 10 from 1982, when they were opening the building, the new building. Um, and I looked, and I, I, to be honest, I, I, didn't, I hadn't really paid much attention to the dates. Uh, and preparing for this morning, I looked at it, 
And I saw that actually it was a sequel to another article from 1980, the 6th of November 1980, which is this article here. And again, I'm not being spooky about timings or anything, but is it more than just coincidence that it's almost to the day? 37 years, virtually to the day, since that article appeared in Redemption Tidings, the magazine of AOG, an article announcing the intention to build a church on 323 Wolverhampton Road. And this is where it says part of it. We have prayerfully decided to step out in faith and clear the site. Lay the foundations, erect the steelwork, then stop. No further building will proceed until we can finance the next stage. We are believing that once we commence, the flow of necessary funds will commence. Please believe and pray with us. Later it says, it is exciting what God has done, but what he's going to do is even greater. And that was written by John Price 37 years ago. Well, going to stop, flow. We've had the word about the oil. That give out what you got and it will miraculously flow. Remember the word I gave, um, well, maybe 18 months or so, about the Israelites having to cross the River Jordan. Yeah, to enter the promised land. And making parallels to when they had to cross the Red Sea. On one level, faced, the Israelites are faced with the same scenario. They've got to get across a body of water to get to where they were heading. And God provided a miracle on both occasions. But they were slightly different. The Red Sea was parted, whereas the Jordan, God stopped the flow and they allowed them to cross. In 2017, we're making plans for a new building just as the church was in 1980. Then as now, we have some money, but not enough. But God will provide. How he will provide may differ, but God will provide. And as we've mentioned, we we're able to put some of the foundations in because of people's generous giving over a number of years, and some continue to give. And we haven't pushed it recently because well, we weren't sure about what was happening with the building, were we? And it would have been unwise to get people, to ask people to pay into a restricted fund if the building was going to be paid for. And we've just concluded the Generous Life series, haven't we? And again, God's timing is over this. And we're all challenged about our generosity, including financial generosity. And Andre suggested some principles for us all to follow around finance. Spend some, save some, share some. So... Oh, this is where they ask, this is, the, this is the request for money. Do we want you to give money towards a building? Well, before I get there, remember, obedience is greater than sacrifice. Obedience is greater than effort. So actually, what we want is, coming off the generosity series, for people to really consider tithing, giving, initially. It wouldn't be right for us to say, start giving to the building fund before people bring in their tithe. And as we said last week, we're not legalistic about tithing. We're not saying that you've got to tithe to be a member of the church at Junction 10. And you may be in a position where you just haven't got the income. The income that, you come, that comes in pays for the build and pays for food. And that's it. If you need help financially, again, as we said last week, come and speak to us. There's courses that we can help with. 
God can do far more with obedience than he can with hard work and sacrifice. Bill Johnson writes, obedience activates anointing. And many times, the quicker the obedience, the greater the power that's released. That's from a book that um, Maureen lent me last week. She, when, I sp- when I spoke about um, the trip to the Hebrides and, and what happened there, they'd been in a conference and said, oh, we, we've been away, we've been to a, a, a retreat, we've got a book, have a look. And often when people say, we've got a book, I have to admit it goes in there, and it comes in there and it goes out there. But I made a note, I made a note, and I was like, I'll ask for that book. I asked for the book, she brought it in last week, and I thought, I'll have a look. Uh, and some of the, what I'm going to go into next comes out of that. So do we want people to give towards the building? Well, yes and no. It's time to give, but please give priority to your tithe. Bring that regularly, bring it joyfully. From the tithe that we're getting, we do put money into the building fund. And if you do tithe regularly, can you joyfully give above and beyond that towards the building fund? Taxpayers, are you signed up for gift aid, money we can recover from the government? Because all this, 40 years at Junction 10, it's about building a community with Jesus at the centre, isn't it? Trusting on him to provide for every need. As a church, we all want to move on, don't we, to what God's got for us. And that requires obedience. And as we said this morning, God's used everything we've gone through as a church to grow us. Even the last few years, when it's looked as though things may be drifting away, then they were falling into place. And when they felt like they were falling into place and God said no, you're left thinking, why? Why, God? I thought it was a... Let me read this from Evan Roberts, who headed the Welsh Revival just before that started. The church has been sleeping, but she is awake and putting on her armour now and marching triumphantly. But do not make a mistake. God cannot do a great work through you without doing a great work in you first. So if we're to step into everything that's God got, that God has got for us as a church... We have to be open to him working in us first. You know, the building project started with a demolition. It was always going to start, a new building was always, always going to start with a demolition. Would it have been more palatable, more exciting for everyone, including the leadership, to be able to say, we're moving out, we're demolishing, work starts on the new building the 14th. January 1st to January 2014. Yes. Yes, it would. But you know what? God didn't say that to us. And all the way through, he's given us the next step. And we just trust God to guide us for the next step. And although we're, if you like, publicly announcing today the start of the building work, the, the, the church is going, going to be built back on that site, we still need to be ready for how God wants to work within us. Again, just before the start of the Welsh Revival, Evan Roberts said, I have only to wait for the fire. I have built the altar and laid the wood in order and have prepared the offerings. I only have to wait for the fire. He was ready. He was prepared for what God wanted to do. Uh, as I read that, he went back to, to my mind, in my mind to the guy in the Hebrides who cried out at the end of the, the first service at Duncan Campbell. You can't fail us now, God. You promised to come. 
And as a church, are we ready for what God's got for us? Are we a church that needs a three, four, five million pound building? You know, Andre challenged us, didn't he, about foundations when he spoke. And this morning, can I ask, where, where are your foundations? You know, talking to people about church attendance and how things have changed. Uh, and these days people attend church, they're part of a church if they attend once a month. And please hear me, I'm, I'm so glad that most churches have moved past the thinking that you have to be at everything going on throughout the week. Out of duty, uh, where people are made to feel guilty about missing services, where the only measure of your faith was attendance. But do we want a church, do we want to be a church of people who long to gather together? Yes. Together to praise? Yeah. Together to pray? Together to learn, to fellowship, to support, to encourage? Yes, 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 and yes. A church that gathers out of desire and not duty. And we're starting to explore how we're going to continue to build a community with Jesus at the centre. But we sense there's an increased call to pray. What that means for us, we're seeking God about. But let me read you this from that book, Bill Johnson's book, Defining Moments. Only God knows how to prepare us for our future. He alone knows how to get us ready for the impossible lifestyle he has called us to. Yet some of this preparation is only given to those who are hungry. Persistence in prayer is called for not so much to impact God as to, as to change us. He hears the very first cry of our heart, but oftentimes the things that we pray for would destroy us if we release them in, the, in full the first time we pray for them. For that reason, God also teaches us about enduring faith. That implies not every prayer is meant to be answered quickly. Quick answers are fun, but delayed answers increase one's interest in the matter that is being prayed over. Delayed answers also shape the character of those who are to receive them. Thus enduring faith and persevering prayers shape the life of the prayers until we are prayers, until we are formed into the kind of vessel that wouldn't be destroyed by the answer. God also gives answers in seed form. We pray for an oak tree and he gives us an acorn at first. God is more committed to the process than we are committed to getting the answers. In Junction 10 speak, we pray for a building and we get the foundations. Do you look at the foundations? As Andre said, you don't even see foundations and say, that's not a building. Or do you say, that's the start. Without them, there is no building. If we can just read Isaiah 62. And this is a word that's been spoken over the region for us as a church and what's been spoken to us as a church about our position in the region. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet. Till her vindication signs out like the dawn, her salvation like a, shining, like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication and all, your, all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hepzibah. 
and your land be there. For the Lord will take delight in you, and your land will be married. As a young man marries a young woman, so, you, so will your builder marry you. As your bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest, and give him no rest, till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. Amen. So, exciting news about the land, the building. But more than that, a challenge to us, isn't that? To continue to see putting Jesus at the centre of everything that we do. Shall we please stand again? I'm not going to get you to stretch this time, but let's, let's stand together. Just uh, where you are, just start thanking God for how he's guided us over these years, the 40 years, the, however long you've been at the church at Junction 10, the last four, three, 12 months. Just thank God for his guiding hand on, on, on this fellowship. And start asking God that, as we've heard, there's an important meeting coming up on the 10th of November, that as this document is dossier submitted, that it will just sail through. As a church, we've been at the position before where it's been, we just wait for one more green light and then that's it. And it's looked like it's going to happen and then, God, let this be the time. Let this be the air, Lord. Lord, that your, your kingdom will be extended through this building. Lord, that it will be for your glory that people will look and say, how have they got that? And we'll be able to say it's through the goodness of God. Because it's what God's got in store for Walsall. 